On this episode of The Bonus Years, Brooke gets her Macy's liver. Let's go. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Bonus Years. I totally caught <laughs> off God. He scared me. It is so loud. I just hit record and started, so that's what you're going to get tonight. Here we go. On this very special episode of The Bonus Years, it's been a freaking couple weeks, huh? Two. It feels like forever. That's because of National Siblings Day. Yeah, I and mean, we haven't recorded in a while. We went, uh, enjoyed spring break in Sun River, Oregon with my family. And uh, we released the sibling podcast a couple weeks ago. And now we're back in the studio. Back in our live studio. <laughs> AKA the upstairs of our house where our kids try to take over. And we have a small corner of space for ourselves. Word. That's the best way to describe it. Wouldn't look great on a floor plan that way. No. Um, so just to get into that. So last, last episode, if you missed that, that's... Uh, very entertaining episode uh, for sibling national siblings. Yeah, it was day, super right? fun to do with my sister. So we had Brooke's sister Allison on the podcast, uh, which was fun. And then the episode before that, which is what we're going to get back into now, yeah, was the last episode of your story about your transplant. So like not last ever, but. The previous part episode. three so far. Part three. We're entering part four wow, right look now. Look at us go. But part four. Here we come. Is there, and you can check that out for yourself. I suggest you do that because otherwise you'll be really lost when we jump into this week. But before we do that, let's do an icebreaker brought to you by Best Self. Best Self, be your best self. That's not their slogan. No, but it's, it could be. it's ours. Be your best self. Uh, so this one's experiences. Okay. Shocker. I love expanse. You love a good experience. What state or country do you never want to go back to? Never want to go back to? Hmm. That is what I said. I was giving myself time to think by I rephrasing knew the question. You were. I could do without going back to Tennessee. Oh, dang. Really? There's no redeeming parts of Tennessee for you? There are some. I mean, Tennessee's probably at the bottom of my list as well as Mississippi, but I can't rank Mississippi last because it's my home state. I feel like that would be yeah, just like that would not be good. The actual worst thing I could do. What about yeah. you, babe? Um, I'm trying to think back to college days where we got to go to a lot of different states. Um, I was too, but my brain wasn't going fast. I think enough. Ohio. I'm so didn't, sorry. Didn't love the Buckeye State. See you later, Ohio. I thought it was well, okay. Fair to be fair, I was only there in the gray wintery time. Okay. Um, from what I could tell, again, I don't I don't think I really went to Cincinnati. That's in Ohio. Yeah. Uh <laughs> or any like big city. Um but yeah, Ohio was was down on my list for sure. I don't really have any desire or reason to go back there. Yeah, I would I will say Illinois, with the exception of Chicago. I could Which is pretty much Ohio. Yeah. Like it's like you have your your major city. We that's are going cool. to get unfollowed or people are gonna yeah. unsubscribe from us. Actually, from maybe areas. we'll just stir stuff up and they'll start like talking about it. Maybe. You never know, it could go that route. But 
Probably we'll not. Have to wait, <laughs> wait Probably and see. not. Uh, we'll look at our uh, data and see. We'll let you know. We'll keep you updated. We probably won't. No, we never even <laughs> check any of that stuff. We did like a couple weeks ago. I was like, does anyone, does anyone listen to this? Listen to this? You're like, I don't know. Hope uh, so. And then we logged in and we're like, oh, okay, cool. cool. Some people do. Uh, so this week, continuing our series on Brooke's transplant story, uh, you had an interesting experience today. You got to do a, a small interview. So I heard... Uh, you kind of talking through some of this with that crew yeah. um, while I was trying to work in the other room, but that was kind of cool. Uh, can you tell people about that yet or no? Yeah. I talked about it on social today. Oh, okay. So what, what's so that all by about? The t- by the time you hear this, this weekend, um, well, it won't be out yet, but I've already talked about it on social. So I got to record a YouTube channel video, nice. like vlog, um, with a new advo- advocacy program mm-hmm. started by, uh, Laura and Jay, they're this cool married couple that I met, um, and they live right outside Chicago. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, sorry, uh, guys. <laughs> um, awkward. And Jay has had a heart and liver transplant, and now he's waiting for a kidney. Um, and they are like basically living their whole life to help p- raise awareness about the need for so cool. for organ donors and to, to help people who have had transplants find support and tell their stories. So very cool. Really cool. Where could people check them out at? Actually, don't know. Well, we'll put that in the notes or something. <laughs> yeah. You don't sure. know their YouTube channel. Well, I would have prepared had I known you were going to oh, talk about sorry. it. I was. I don't talk about things until they're live usually. Uh, well, I talk about things all the time. So okay. Uh, so we're going to continue the story on your transplant today. So we're kind of taking off. So just to set the scene, you uh, are in. In, you know, some sort of level of liver, 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 failure. liver failure, you have been uh, taken from Tennessee down to New Orleans. Yep. Uh, and you're at Oshner. Yep. Correct. Correct. And you are kind of waiting to see if uh, treatment plans are working. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of where we've led up to so far. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of set the scene. Where are we at now? So, um. I'm in the ICU mm-hmm. uh, and moved to, well, I've moved from the ICU to the transplant floor mm-hmm. uh, in New Orleans. And I, I talk about New Orleans, like the whole city is the hospital <laughs> at Oxford. And we've done steroid treatments, like the high dose IV steroids. Um, and at this point they're deciding to do a liver biopsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to share this since you mentioned it already, got to share this on the the vlog that I did today with, my new friends about um, having so much fluid around my abdomen that mm-hmm. they didn't feel comfortable going in for a regular liver biopsy. Um, so they had to go do a trans jugular biopsy, which is through the jugular vein right. all the way down into Lit. the liver. And it totally grossed me out at the time. And now I think it's just like one of the coolest, coolest things ever. Uh, sorry. Totally got off track in my brain with that. Cause I got excited about, about okay. a biopsy. Yeah, no, that's okay. great. So um, your boat. it was at that point that the doctors got to actually see the tissue in my liver. Um, and with that, an ultrasound realized that my liver was the size of a fist when it should be. It's three pounds, your biggest internal organ. Uh, and mine had completely shrunken, shriveled up. Uh, I just picture it being like a little raisin in there. Mm. Um, wasn't that small, but 
comparatively it was. And the pathology report said the cell structure within it was so collapsed they couldn't even tell what had caused the damage to my liver. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, so where were you mentally, emotionally at this point? Because, I mean, you had kind of up until this point been like, oh, yeah, this will totally work. Mm-hmm. Uh, treatment and prayer, right? That's yep. going to be great. Treatment and prayer. And, man, that's so tough because so much of this is like a blur Yeah. because it was so traumatic and so quick. Right. Um, I remember thinking, still thinking overall like, oh, like something magical is going to happen and I'm going to be fine yeah. without a transplant. Right. Um, after the biopsy, that's when they recommended, okay, Brooke, like we should be talking about a transplant. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the idea at all. I didn't want to have a surgery. Yeah. Um, at 20, you pretty much feel invincible. You, I don't know mo- many young people who are like, um, I'm probably going to die unless mm-hmm. they've been through some major health stuff already. Right. And so I went from healthy to sick really fast. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be okay. You had no reason. You had no experience to tell you otherwise. No. Right. And because I felt in some ways, like looking back, I have language to put to this, but like my body had betrayed me. So like, I didn't feel as sick as I actually was. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like I could trust what I was feeling versus what the doctors were saying. Like it felt like everything that came in was like a surprise because I couldn't yeah. feel it. Um, and I realized that one of my biggest coping mechanisms for my mental health during that trauma time was to sleep. Nice. Um, and I think that's still one of my biggest coping mechanisms. Yeah, that might be. Um, because I've always loved to sleep, but when I couldn't process all the big emotions, sleep was what I would do. Um, and let my, let my subconscious integrate my, my trauma instead of me having to work through it. It's deep. Yeah. Um, so going to have to go on the transplant list. What did you know about the transplant list at that moment? Um, that there was a list that I was going on. Yeah. I honestly knew nothing. Tell us about the process now. So if, if anyone is, is familiar with the process, they know what we're about to describe is kind of weird. Yeah. But if you don't know anything about it, I mean, just preparing you, it is a really strange, weird thing to think about, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's kind of cool yeah. at the same time, but also just really kind of makes you go, uh, it just, it, why does it make you go Ugh, just because well, of how intense it is? Not intense. It's, it's basically ranking people's worthiness to receive something that will either save them or not. Yes. And that in itself, the like, fact that people are getting yeah. to choose other people's fate, fate. Yeah. It's weird. It's kind of it cringy. Feels, yeah. So, so in the United States, this is, what I can speak to because right. every country does it different. USA. Um, you, no? okay. <laughs> Ben's waving his American flag over here. I always um, am. So people waiting for a liver, they, they formulate what's called a MELD score. Um, and it's calculated by looking at your health prior to transplant, uh, your mental health support system, age, height, weight. Um, then they, they look at your blood type. They look at um, your body size, I mean, that goes kind of with your weight, but your body size is a little bit different because they have to match liver, even though your liver can regenerate, mm-hmm. um, they have to kind of match a lot of that. And then they have to determine, uh, like your will to live. So if you get this transplant, how are you going to do on the other side of it? Do you want to be alive? Right. Are you giving up? Do you have people to help support you? Um, did you inflict this on yourself? So, 
un- I mean, I say unfortunately. I can't quantify what's fair. Right. I'm not God. Um, but but you take a an alcoholic who's been drinking their whole life, like they're not going to be listed as quickly or as high on the list yeah. as someone like me who just suddenly got sick and really needed a transplant right away. So it felt very weird to like go through this workup process with mm-hmm. a social worker and doctors and nurses and be asked what felt like a lot of questions that I didn't directly see a connection to like how my body worked. Can you think of any of those questions? Um, I mean the, like the support system stuff, like yeah. in my brain, I was like, I go to college six hours from here. Well, six hours from home. I have roommates, like I have friends, but like, why does that matter? You know, they're like, will you be able to take your medication regularly? Do you have insurance? Like things like that. Right. That matter. Um, where, <laughs> I wish I wish our medical system weren't as broken as it is because like you look at how money draws a line in the sand and privilege draws a line in the sand for a lot of people. Like that's a whole different thing. Absolutely. But you know, they they deemed me worthy of being listed at a high status, um, which put me as a priority level. I think it was called one A. Somebody Ooh. who's like fancy fancy in the transplant world would know. Um Top priority in like my region, which mm-hmm. I believe was six states. And so I didn't, I was like, cool, I'm on a list. Now what do we do? Like, I, right. was, I was like thinking there was like something else to do. So after all that, they're like, cool, you're on the list. Now you wait. And nobody had kind of at that point explained to you. I mean, you at this point knew that they said you basically need to get this thing within a week. You, you- um, yeah, they, they told me if you might live a week. So without a transplant, you know, that fact. So that's when I decided, cause I had to give consent to be listed. Right. So you make that decision based off of that very real reality. Yeah. And did they describe to you what the surgery might be like, what a transplant would, would look like, what that would feel like, what recovery would be like? I feel like they tried to, I know I got a stack of papers I was supposed to read mm-hmm. and sign. And I remember thinking, if I'm not going to live a week, does it matter what the process is? Like, I have to do it. Hmm. Um, and so I did not have the mental capacity at the time to read all the potential things that could go wrong in surgery, what yeah. recovery was like. It was like, get me to the next moment. Like, let's just survive as far as I can. And sitting there reading through the the potential outcomes was not part of what I could do. Yeah. Um, so... Tell us about kind of the very first potential liver that came across. <laughs> My first liver. So I got listed June 21st, 2005. I almost 2005. forgot. 2005. 2005. Um, and my surgeon came in that day and he, he popped by when he could, you know, because surgeons are doing surgery usually. And he like sat on the edge of my bed and he was like, hey, I found you, found you a liver today. And I was like why are you so calm about it? He was like, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good match, mm. but it, I mean, he said it was a match, but it just wasn't, it wasn't good enough. And I was like in my head thinking, I didn't really vocalize this cause I was sassy, but not really bold yet. Why did you, why on earth would you find me a match when you say I have, you know, a week to live and then be like, Oh, it's not good enough. Like to me, time's running out, right? Like my clock is at the, my hourglass is at the bottom of the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, so 
that that was like a really heavy moment yeah. of cool. Thanks for passing. Like, thanks for making that choice about my life without my consent. Um, and he looked me in the eye and he said, Brooke, you're young. You're otherwise healthy. That was a TJ Maxx liver. And I want you to have a Macy's liver. And I understood the analogy. And I was like, oh, he's shopping. That's so thoughtful. Plus, I love TJ Maxx. But when you think about what you want going in your body, right? You want like the best you can possibly have, right. which I would say Nordstrom. But, you know, yeah. he said Macy's. It's, You've learned. it's You've a different grown. thing. Um, and I just remember thinking, great that you want the best for me. But what if while I'm waiting for the best thing, I die here? Right. Like, right. I could have had TJ Maxx and it might not have been as good, but at least I wouldn't be dead. So this is June 22nd? 21st. The day I got listed. So, oh yeah, he came in the next day. The so June 22nd. And then what was the next few days like? Do you remember any of that time period while you're waiting? What was, the, what did the waiting feel like? Yeah. So for me, the waiting and the pre waiting hospitalization time mm-hmm. felt the same. Yeah. Um, because there was still nothing for me to do except just be at the hospital other than I slept better because they had stopped other treatments. Yeah, there was the steroids weren't helping. So they're like, get some sleep, get your energy up. Right. You know, Um, but I had no idea. I mean, we didn't know that I was going to expire within a week. Like if it would be, you know, that's an estimation. Right. Um, We didn't know how quickly I'd get an organ. And so I just remember, you know, still walking up and down the halls, um, still having visitors. I remember being tired of people coming to visit me during those days. It's like. I'd kind of put on a good face for a while, um, which I'm pretty good at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and been the like happy, positive attitude, cheerleader, like because other people were coming in and grieving for me. Mm-hmm. And I was the one like pumping them up. And once I got on the list, I remember just kind of switching gears and being like, you know, I don't I don't want visitors more than 20 minutes and I only want certain ones. And, you know, I need more sleep. You know, right. I remember my parents stayed with me. One of them stayed in the room with me every night mm-hmm. and the other one went back to the hotel next door. And there were times where I was like, why don't you both just go back and sleep? Like I was never alone. I never, I was intentionally never alone, but I, it never gave me time to process yeah. anything because it was such a scary time. I don't know that I wanted to be alone, but at the same time it was like, how, how else do you sort through the, right. the mental stress of it all. So just waiting and eating my snacks. You know, I lived for my nightly snack of chocolate ice cream and graham crackers. She still does every night. It's no. I don't do it every night, but it is a hospital fave. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where the, the nurses have like a snack fridge kind of where yep. they can give patients food without having to like I've call been the sent dietary. to that fridge several times. Yeah. And so that's kind of my go-to snack because they always have it. Yeah. So you get that every night and then there's, a night where something changes. There, what what a setup. I know. There's a night where something changes. One of my favorite nurses, Jenny, uh, I had like paged her like, hey, not urgent. When you're not dealing with a patient, I need my snack. <laughs> and she came in and she was smiling really big and she didn't have my snack. Mm-hmm. And I was not smiling. You're like, I, that, like, I don't know why you're smiling. I was like, where's my snack? Right. Uh, and she goes, I have something better than a snack. And then like her eyes kind of teared up and my mom's eyes kind of teared up. And my aunt Connie was with me and her eyes kind of teared up. And they all knew it was like this moment. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, where's my snack? <laughs> you were oblivious. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we found you a match. And I'm like, great. So, like, can I have my snack now? And she's like, no, now you can't eat anything because we've got to prep you for surgery. So, I mean, like, it was kind of this, like, oh, man, one of the, like, most beautiful, difficult moments of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've even talked to you about this before. Um, and I, I kind of bury it down deep because I get really emotional about it. Yeah. Um, but my mom was there. My aunt was there, who's a minister. Um, and my, my nurse was there. And it was just this, like, overwhelming joy. Mm-hmm. And also this, like, really deep sorrow. Right. Because we had this realization that, like, somewhere... Somebody had lost somebody very important to them. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that grief, they said, yeah, they can be an organ donor. Right. And they had no idea of my story and the other people's story that they saved their lives. And so we all kind of just held hands and like said a prayer together for that family in their grief. Yeah. And it was just one of the craziest, like talk about feeling polar opposite emotions in the right. same breath in the same breath yeah um if people tell you they can't sustain more than one feeling at a time that was one of those where i was like oh they can live in tension together yeah um and so we started prepping for surgery pretty crazy yeah. so um i think that's kind of where we left off this week right so yeah. she's got a good liver and she's about to get prepped for surgery and we've got the Macy's liver. You got the Macy's liver. Yeah. Uh, there is one, one aspect of the story that I was going to ask you about. I don't know when your mom started doing this, but this is something that I think is, (laughs) did you hear us talking about it today? uh, I don't think so, but this is the only way that I knew anything about what was going on because I was in, I think I was in Washington Washington. state because it was during the summer. Um, and so the only way that I knew was I would call your cell phone. My cell phone. You want me to give the whole context? Sure. Of communication. So it was 2005. Facebook had just been created. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still had to have a .edu email address to get it. So we weren't on Facebook. Um, if you're at any at any point have used CaringBridge to follow someone or to support your family. Oh, yeah. There's no CaringBridge. None of that. There's no GoFundMe. Um, any traditional route that we use now and just think it's easy, meal train, there's none of that support built in uh, through social media. Right. So my mom, being the clever woman that she was, took my flip phone every day. The Brooke update. Was it the Brooke Upton update? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Brooke Upton update for, and then she would say the date and leave the message like, when people called with an update on what was going on with me. So anybody who wanted to know what was going on, they could call my cell phone. Cause I wasn't answering it, hear that voicemail and know what was happening yeah. from day to day. And that's the only way we could hold it down. Right. And that was the only way that anybody from, from the outside world would have any clue what was going on. Yeah. So that was me at that time frame. I answered for you. You did answer a few times and you called a few times we were not together. Um, we were not together, but we were together. But we were not together. We were definitely not together. Uh, so that was, I just think that's such an interesting part because, you know, we've 
we've been, you know, since then in the hospital um, and, you know, just updating people on Facebook. And every time I do it, I think what a different world this is than what your mom had to deal with oh when gosh. she was trying to communicate with people with what was going on. There's so much more available information. Uh, people can can support from a distance without overstepping, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, it's a lot uh, more conducive to, I think, a healthy healthy process for people to be able to be a part of that kind of experience um, and to support somebody who's in that, that, that situation from, from wherever they are. And And it really takes the burden off the patient and their family right? from having to provide all the information all the time. And you can outsource it to close family members and friends to care for you. Yeah. A meal train would have been right. So good. Thinking about that. I mean, that's blessed us a few times since then. I think, I think about just, Cause I even know like for me, it can get really exhausting telling somebody the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've literally put in notes on my phone and, and I'll copy and paste the thing that I said to the last seven people that asked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they text, um, if they call a lot of times I wouldn't answer cause I just didn't have the energy. No. So I can't imagine how much more exponentially challenging that was for your family during that, that time frame. Yeah. Just nuts. Thank God for technology. Yeah. Anytime I'm really frustrated with social media and like the addiction to it or not putting my phone down, I try to remember moments like this where I'm like, it's easy to communicate with a large group of people. Right. This is good. I can set my boundary. This good. This good. This good. (laughs) Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Bonus Years podcast. Uh, As always, we thank you so much for listening, for subscribing, for rating this podcast. Um, be sure to go to the bonusyearsblog.com and sign up to get the latest blog post in your email inbox. Every time it's posted, it's the best way to stay up to date with what's going on. For sure. For sure. Instagram, Facebook, Bonus Years. At the Bonus Years. At the Bonus Years. You can find Brooke's uh, posts there. Follow along. Interact with her. What else could they do? Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yeah. So if you're on Clubhouse, it's Brooke Grad. Check out Clubhouse. It's pretty cool. There's uh, multiple conversations a week um, going on right now with transplant recipients, donors, big support community right now. Pretty cool. Um, And as always, thanks to Mr. Jeff Ekstrand and Stephanie Donati for helping us. And my friend Alicia Alicia Keys? No, that'd be cool. Um, (laughs) Alicia Hebert, who's in Canada, helped edit this blog. International editing happening. Yep. Whoa. Transplant friend. Texas, DC, Canada, Washington State, all coming together to put on this world phenomenal. renowned podcast and blog. It's that heard we've got around the globe, translated into 50 languages. That's not Share true. with a friend, guys. Sure, that's a better. Share, share with a friend. <laughs> share with a friend and help us have one more listener next oh, week. Oh, yeah. And dear God, let us be able to stop this thing right now, okay? <laughs> God have bless. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.